The Incomparable. Number 336. January 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. We're here for a fun thing, sort of like a draft, but also sort of like a, a pitch session like we did a while ago about TV reboots. We're going to talk about comic book movies. Now, the idea here is there have been a lot of comic book movies lately, especially superhero movies. And uh, we, in our, uh, in our conversations, uh, not on the show, we talked a little bit about how... Maybe they were all kind of samey, and it might be nice to see some different kinds of comic book-based films in the future. And so we're just going to throw these ideas out there of uh, comics that we would like to see made into movies and maybe some ideas of what those movies might be. And so, yeah, it's a little mini draft, a little idea session. Joining me to have, uh, have some, share some ideas about comic book movies that, w- that we would like to see. Are these fine people? I'm going to introduce them in the order in which they're going to tell you their ideas. First up, his first time on The Incomparable, but you may have heard him. He is the host of Sophomore Lit on this very network. It's John McCoy. Hello, John. Welcome. Hey, kids. Yay. Comics. It's good to take kids comics. There's two exclamation points after all of those words, I think, uh, in the spinner rack. Uh, David J. Lore also here. Hello. Hello. Enough said. <laughs> Monty Ashley. Uh, um, face front. Is that? That's a <laughs> thing that's in a comic book. <laughs> Moises Chuyan. Hi. One of these days, somebody's just going to say, pass. <laughs> Change my mind. I figured yeah. the most off-putting thing that I could do would be not do a silly voice or a character or yeah, a catchphrase. Weird. What's wrong with you? Are you feeling okay? Just, just say hello. Lisa Schmeiser, oh. hi. Hi. John, it's so nice to meet you via podcast. I'm excited to be on with you. Oh, thanks. And uh, I'll pick last because I'm just the host. It's a fun, it's a fun group. And of course, all comic books are allowed. Uh, Monty also asked me, I think it was Monty because he likes to really stretch the rules if comic strips would be allowed. I said, sure. You thought that was a stretch. Okay, well. And it may get weirder. I don't even know. And that's okay because Dance the Robot, I consider a robot now. So Finally. Baby Blues, the motion picture. Mm. I'm just saying Ziggy, the cinematic universe. It's mm-hmm. going to be amazing. Yeah. All right. So uh, so here we go. We'll do a couple of rounds and then we'll bring out our kind of uh, also also mentioned. And uh, that's a podcast. So, John, what uh, do you have for us as a uh, as a comic book movie? Well, it's it's been over a decade since the Casper movie. <laughs> And I has think it been that long? It has been. Ni- 1995. <laughs> I think the, the Harvey Comics universe is, is ripe for mm. a, a gritty reboot. So a picture, if you will, the, the, it opens with Casper fading back into consciousness, trying to remember who killed him. <laughs> and Casper, of course, will be played by Daniel Radcliffe, uh, since he's already played a dead guy and he's gaunt <laughs> enough. Um, and he is aided in his, in his quest to find his murderer by Wendy who is the goth Wiccan who inadvertently summons Casper back from the dead. Uh, and, and I think that she should be played by uh, a Mae Whitman, uh, given the strength of her, of her portrayal in, uh, in the uh, Scott Pilgrim movie. 
Um, and so the, the two of them go off and, and they're aided in their quest by the demon from hell, Hot Stuff, who uh, seems to be on their side, but may have a sinister motive for what he does. And I think uh, we might uh, might tap Patton Oswalt as a kind of a stunt casting for that. And then also somewhere in there, we have to fit in Little Dot, who was, after all, the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Uh, with her obsession with polka dots. So I assume she would be played by uh, Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) And of course, as, as, as the story unravels and as plots are revealed of, we, we do finally find out that Casper was in fact killed by Richie Rich. So Richie, Richie Rich just likes hunting the most dangerous game. Is that what you're telling yeah. me? I, I, that, that, <laughs> I, I'm spitballing this out here for some suggestions now because, um, you know, there's a lot of the Harvey universe that we didn't get in here. You know, Sad Sack is not in here. Um, B- Baby Huey. Baby Huey. Little Lulu. Yeah, I know. So uh, if, if if everyone has some suggestions on on what to do, uh, I'm I'm thinking you know we could we could tap visionary director Zack Snyder for this one. <laughs> oh, solid. <laughs> Give him another universe to mess up. Yeah, he would love to do that murder scene where Casper is murdered. I think he would really enjoy making that a gritty Richie Rich. Richie Rich is totally like an Anne Rand character, and he loves Anne Rand. So. <laughs> exactly. You could get a little Batman action where Cadbury is counseling Richie Rich on maybe maybe tut tutting a little bit about his methods in killing in hunting and killing. Uh, other humans that could be yeah i'm looking forward to the stinger when uh it's when when it sets up the sequel too yeah i was gonna well i was gonna ask what where does this um franchise i mean we, we we won't know until we see if the gritty reboot of casper uh takes off but what what might be some places this universe could go some spin-offs from it do we go to a, a mutton jeff next where do we where do we end up i was thinking that because we we get all the big heavy hitters of the harvey universe in on this one this one tentpole uh movie yeah, it's your avengers it's your justice league exactly then all of them can have their own spin-offs or netflix uh series you know oh nice i think that i i don't know why they haven't done this already quite frankly Oh, a gritty reboot of Casper. I really like it. This is going far better than I had even hoped, I have to I say. Know. Already. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Anything else? Or is that I mean that was a lot. That there's a lot. You did the casting too. I appreciate that. That's stunt casting. I wasn't I wasn't planning on well, casting well, mine. You know, I feel bad uh, now. This is my this is my first time on. I thought I'd take notes. Maybe I was wrong. Mm-hmm. No, no. I think I no, think no. T- ca- fantasy casting is one of the things we enjoy quite great, quite greatly. I think yes. Lisa. I, I would be disappointed <laughs> if Lisa didn't throw in some casting decisions when we get to her. Um, oh, you know I have them. <laughs> I know you do, uh, David Lore. Oh, how uh, share share your pitch with us? Well, I I went a little more serious for the first round. No, um, I know, I know, but it's a book we all like, I think, and it's it's a book that is kind of. Uh, well, the, the book itself, we know it's an actual book and the comic book, a lot of people didn't know about, um, Michael Chabon wrote the amazing adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is about the history of the comic book industry. And his two characters created a book called the escapist and dark horse comics put out a quarterly series for a couple of years, The Amazing Adventures of the Escapist. There's even an issue written by Will Eisner where he gets to meet the spirit. And it's kind of amazing. I mean, it is pitch perfect, you know, 40s era. I I know people are shocked that I would like this. 
And so I would love... They've been trying to make a Cavalier and Clay movie for years. They've been talking about, oh, it'll be a miniseries. It's actually been adapted for the stage. I want to see the comic book. I want to see the escapist and, and, and Luna Moth and all of the other characters and, and his nemesis, Mr. Machine Gun. And I want to see a little bit of that meta pulling aside the curtain and going, oh, there's Cavalier and Clay back there. But we're really focused on the escapist. I think that would be a really cool movie. Maybe really cool miniseries. I don't know. Now remind me what what the power is he is he like the 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 spirit or something where he's just a guy or does he have powers? He I think he has powers as I recall. He he's a member of the League of the Gold Key and he has learned certain mental tricks and his main thing is being able to escape from any bond. Uh, right? He's like he's like Houdini, and so he gets tied up and chained up. And do you see this as a movie with like? really crazy art direction sort of like the uh the dick tracy movie tried to look like a a comic from the 40s oh yeah yeah i would love to see it where the the few times we get to peek behind the curtain it's very realistic and very drab 1940s new york and when we're back in the reality of the the escapist it is very much the the bright colors and you know just done well unlike Dick Tracy. Hmm. <laughs> There's a rogues gallery in here or, or, or in a collection of characters that, you know, the, it reminds me of, I mean, this is what uh, Watchmen uh, has too, where it's this collection of essentially golden age type characters. And there, I love whenever any, oh, yeah. um, any modern take on, on these sort of heroes has that collection of characters that are all inter- interacting that um, the tick did that the, the animated series had a, yep. had a, had a league <laughs> of, of golden age heroes. And I just, I love those. I love those kinds of characters. They're just so enjoyable to watch. I mean, seriously, if you can find copies of the, the dark horse, I mean, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're 80 page, but they're in the, yeah. the nice format. They're not comic book comic books, right? They're graphic novel style books. Yeah, they they're, are they're, comic um, book comic books, you snob. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> they're perfect bound. The only difference is they're perfect bound. They're not stapled yeah. is what they are. Yes, yeah. they're not stapled. That's, that's, that's the yeah. ticket. They're not stapled. David hates staples. Monty, Ashley, what about you? What's your uh, What's your first comic book movie pitch? Well, I'm a big fan of a writer and artist named Evan Dorkin. Uh, his his most popular comic books include Milk and Cheese and Hectic Planet, which is also named Pirate Corps, both of which would be a lot of fun, and I would go to them, but explaining them would be kind of complicated right oh, now. Oh, whoa. Are, are we going to get inducted into a very special club tonight? We're not. The Elton okay. Gill Club is great, but it had a pilot <laughs> that you can see on Adult Swim sometimes. The Evan Dorkin project I would like to see a movie of is Superman and Batman World's Funnest. Ooh, <laughs> yes. This is a comic in which Superman and Batman are bedeviled by Mr. Mixius Pitlick and Batmite, who are suspiciously similar interdimensional <laughs> imps who are nigh omnipotent. Uh, basically what happens is Superman and Batman are hanging around, Mr. Mixius Pitlick and Batmite show up. I think Mr. Mixes Pitlick accidentally kills Robin, so Batmite accidentally on purpose kills Superman, so Mixer Mixes Pitlick kills Batman, and then they kind of get into a bigger fight and destroy the entire universe. That universe was Earth-1, which was at that point being drawn by Dave Gibbons. So they get in a chase that goes to the Phantom Zone and ends up in Earth-2, which is drawn by Sheldon Moldoff, 
who, by the way, do the original appearance of Batmite. And they they destroy that universe. And throughout the course of this comic book, they go to like 40 different universes. Like they go to the Dark Knight Returns universe, which is being drawn by Frank Miller. They go to the DC animated universe drawn by Bruce Timm. They go to the Crisis on Infinite Earths world. They go to Super Friends. They go to Earth Prime, which is our world via photographs. Every universe gets its own art treatment, and they all get destroyed through hilarious fourth wall breaking, and it's great. So my proposal is that we have a movie that starts in the current DC universe, like the Zack Snyder, Superman v. Batman, grimy... The really dark and portentous. So that we can, so that we can destroy it and leave it in ruins. Yes, I like this. Yes. And then go they, go to the, they go to the Tim Burton <laughs> Batman, they go to the Christopher Reeves Superman, they go to Batman the Animated Series, the Arrow TV series, the Flash TV series from 1990, uh, Swamp Thing... Anything remotely DC Universe, we just have them show up in for five to ten minutes, destroy the universe, and move on. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> now, I have cast it. Um, I don't think we need huge stars up top because we're going to have a ton of cameos. Uh, Clooney will totally come in, show up in the bat suit for five minutes to be killed. I think he'd be totally into that. So, yeah. for Mr. Mixius Pitlick, Wallace mm-hmm. Shawn. Oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> Solid. That'll work. Live action and voice. And for Batmite, I'm kind of going to enrage the nerds because there's no reason a fifth dimensional imp needs to be a dude. So I'm going to cast Judy Greer, who I think has the right <gasps> energy oh, for a manic fanboy like that. Well, she mm. can finally do something other than play an upset, uh, you know, uh, spouse yeah. or sister or aunt. She has played a superhero before. She played Death Girl in the specials back the when specials. James Gunn was making yeah. uh, less popular superhero <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. So fair. that's my pitch. World's funnest. Monty, Martha was my mom's name, too. <laughs> <laughs> if only everybody's mom was named the same, things would be fine. Moises, what do you have for us? I, I felt that my first round pick, I, I had to fulfill a promise. I made a promise, like a blood oath uh, to a friend. Um Batman versus Superman, uh, dawn of overlong titles has been mentioned already, uh, in, in, uh, sly reference. And, uh, and I feel it only appropriate that my first round pick be Apollo and Midnighter from the DC universe characters created by Warren Ellis as analogs to, uh, Superman and Batman with one big, crazy queer twist. And that is that they're gay. And their husbands, and they fight crime. That, the, the crime fighting is not the twist. Yes, uh, Apollo and Midnighter, <laughs> Dawn of Gayness. Uh, the DC universe needs to get more gay really fast, uh, because frankly, it's really sad right now, uh, cinematically. And uh, and at the very least, they could they could take a progressive leap forward uh, and, uh, and and do something interesting. I, I am actually serious in that I think that these characters are uh, much more interesting deconstructions of the superhero uh, tropes that we know and have seen a million times by now in, in a way that gives into the thousand ships that have sailed from all kinds of knowing glances between Cap and Bucky. Superman and Batman while smashing sinks and toilets on each other. Uh, there, there, there's so much that's been inferred by fans that could absolutely be real. When smashing sinks and toilets sounds so innuendo laden. It makes me think of the spirit movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Try not to. But, uh, but you know, they, they could even cross yet another bridge because they're sort of Superman and Batman, but they're not exactly Superman and Batman. 
And this could finally be DC one-upping what Deadpool did and doing really explicit gay sex scenes. Oh, <laughs> interesting pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the smashing of the bathtubs. How does that work exactly? I do like this pitch because I do like those characters. And I think it's a it's a really interesting. I, I really enjoyed the recent Midnighter series. I, I was going to say miniseries. Well, like I canceled after 12 issues. So it kind of was uh, where they had broken up and he was really unhappy about it and kind of on the rebound and that was fun too the storm it was fun to see them in stormwatch back in the day lisa had me read those right yes, Stormwatch and the authority those. right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i would i would yeah. i would introduce them and then you can do the team movie down the line and hey, people hey, can hey, have hey, something hey, hey, interesting hey, to watch instead of justice voices. league it's still my turn in the draft <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying i'm just saying it paves the way for a thing it paves the way for All a right. thing <laughs> The sex scenes we'll have to. I think we'll have to ch- run that by the uh, studio. No, but, no, we won't. We're just gonna. We're just gonna, <laughs> just gonna put them out it. there and print money. Just print money. Interesting. I'm honestly kind of serious about this. I mean, part of the reason that that Warren Ellis uh, created these characters wasn't just as kind of a, a cheeky in joke. It was. It was a huh. Here's a way to slip some actual decent social commentary into something mm-hmm. that can come off as oh, these are pastiche characters. Ha ha. ha. Oh. Oh, they actually oh. have a more interesting and intricate relationship than Superman and Lois Lane have for 30 years. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's that's exactly it, is that they're, they're able to have details of their relationship that, you know, one of the challenges with uh, with anything like Superman and Batman is uh, it's how do you have those characters relate? And you know, Apollo and Midnighter, mm-hmm. we know how they relate. And, and there's no subtext. There's text. Yeah. And there's something delightful <laughs> about that. Okay, Lisa, it's your turn. So I'm going to have to share my Google Doc with you because I swear my number one pitch was for the authority. And for those of you who may or may not know, Apollo and Midnighter were members of this ensemble at uh, the turn of the, the turn of the millennium. I feel like their franchise needs to be launched because instead of it being a superhero movie where the superheroes enforce the status quo, where we love the world the way it is, even with terrible environmental things happening. And sure, there's a few dictatorships, but um, we don't do diplomacy. We just do punchy punchy. Instead, what the authority does is they basically say, we have a boatload of super scientifically advanced technology. We have superpowers and we have decided here's how we're going to make the world a better place. We are going to change the world. We're remaking it in the image that we want it. Bring it if you have disagreements. And um, I like that approach because I think it challenges the predominant paradigm in superhero movies because you look at the Avengers and what is that movie if not a defense of the status quo? Even Age of Ultron is is basically them saying, okay, so we're cleaning up this mess we made and uh, all right, it's good, it's good. Ignore the, ignore the thing that flew in the sky, it's fine. And so the MCU has a whole lot of hand-wringing, but fundamentally at the end of the day, like nobody has said we have godlike powers, let's remake the world. Nobody's doing that in the DCU. I would like to see somebody do that. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the massive power imbalance and the authority is the perfect team to do it because you do have, again, Apollo and Midnighter who are, you know, Batman and Batman and Superman and married. And during the run of the authority, they're actually a really functional couple and it's fun to watch. Um, they are led by a woman named Jenny Sparks, who is the avatar of the 20th century. Her power is electricity. And as in she can control it, she can control the electricity generated by the human body. She can travel through electricity. She can summon it called down from the sky. Um, she appears to be about a young 20 something British woman. But the thing is, is she popped into being at, in 1900 and she's set to die 
when um, the century changes. There was like a Jenny steam for the, for the, for the 1800s. There have been, you know, Jenny water power, things like that. And so you're, you're pitching a period piece. I hmm. am. I'm pitching a 1990s nostalgia period piece because what it does is it basically, it asks a lot of what if questions and creates an alt history. So it ties into that whole hot topic. 1990s was great uh, sensibility that the kids so like today. And so mm-hmm. you've got it. So you've got, you've got a team run by, by, by a young woman. Um, I see it as being Natalie Dormer. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 Especially yeah. because she's, 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 she, she is, in sort of a, she's in sort of a furious love with the world, as it were. Like she loves the world, but she wants it to be better. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to make it better before I, I leave. And her second in command is a guy named Jack Hawksmore, who as a child was subject to a series of grueling alien abductions where they filled his body with all sorts of weird machineries. But the result is he can literally talk to cities and move between cities. Like you put him down in New York City and he can instantly figure out like, where wrongdoing is happening, be moved there and fix it. Like the, the, the premise is if, if a city is ill, it calls out to him and he has to go fix what's going on. Um, his weakness, of course, is the rural countryside. <laughs> and, um, he is old and battered and very, um, Clive Owen like. So, <laughs> so you have him too. This is, this, this is skewing British, but bear with me. And in, in return, there's also a dude named the doctor who is just this profoundly stoned Dutch junkie who happens also to be tapped into the life force of the earth and he can heal anything or kill people with diseases. And there's the engineer who's this beautiful Latina lady, Angel, Angelina Spica is her name. And, um, you know, I, I like the girl from Jane, from Jane the Virgin for that because she she offsets some of the nas- some some of the some of the hardage British business, and then there's Shen who is an Asian lady who also happens to have wings and she flies and she's she's called the Huntress, and so you've got you've got what is basically I mean Warren Ellis wrote wrote them and and Brian Hitch illustrated them and they look like a Benetton ad that could kill you, and um and that's kind of the appeal, and I I figured okay fine you know the first movie um just shows them overthrowing a bunch of terrorist regimes, providing humanitarian aid, and then having a standoff with the United Nations, because the United Nations has their own pet superheroes. And then when this movie breaks out big, because it will, because, you know, as Moises pointed out, the gay sex, and also, you know, strong lady role models and all of that, then subsequent movies have them fending off alien invaders and dealing with... um a rival team of corporate sponsored superheroes by a cartel of billionaires who want the old world order back. And then there's the Y2K where, oh my gosh, Jenny Sparks is going to die, but what happens next? What takes her place? And that's like the big, you know, two part boom, boom, things explode all over the place. It'll be fantastic. Jenny social media. <laughs> no, Jenny quantum. Jenny quantum. Yeah. Way back in the day, they thought it was going to be Jenny quantum. And the thing is, is Jenny quantum ages at her own pace. So you can easily do the, you can easily lift from the, from the book, the plot line where you had like a pan galactic force trying to kill babies that were born at the, at the stroke of Y2K. And then the authority has to go stop them. And then they find baby Jenny quantum and she's like, eh, babyhood is boring. And so then you've got your, 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 your hipster teenage kid. For, for those who are interested in comic books and some of the characters that you've heard about here, uh, none other than Warren Ellis has been given the reins of the entire Wildstorm universe, which includes oh, the authority and Stormwatch characters and it's being relaunched in an ongoing series and uh, uh, some tie-in series. Uh, the main series being called The Wild Storm, which would be it should be out relatively soon. I figured over the course of like these four or five Authority movies, you'll bring in the Stormwatch because you'll have the Weatherman come back. You might even have Henry Bendix come back. And then the second Weatherman, you'll have some of the people that you saw on Stormwatch, like the dude who got thrown into the sun. Um, 
And then you can bring in some of Gen 13 and a bunch of the Wildstorm things. But the point is, is the whole ethos of this series is we have superpowers. Of course, we're going to change the world as we see fit. And then the question is, well, well how does the world react to that? We have a giant spaceship that uh, that slips between the, uh, oh, the bleed I love- of realities. What do we yeah, do with that? Yeah, the bleed. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, they've got that crazy spaceship. They've got the Nevada garden with all the weapons and the food. It's just, it's bananas. And like I, it, like I said, it kind of inverts the whole superhero movie trope because... The biggest problem with all the X-Men movies is all, we must defend the status quo. It's okay if they hate and fear us as long as they don't hate and fear us that much, (laughs) which makes no sense. And, um, you know, the DC movies are kind of the same thing where everyone is is still, well, since these people are are really uncomfortable with us, perhaps we should not make them so uncomfortable with us. And I was like, well, you might as well just lean in, man, you know? (laughs) lean in use this to your advantage so you're powerful beings all right so uh moises and lisa both channeling lots of royalty money to warren ellis yes fair enough yes yes i love you warren ellis all right i will close out this first round with uh, a pitch for i would like a uh, comic book movie that is i'm gonna do a superhero movie here too uh i know that there are uh, other pitches out there I, I think my next one will not be but this one i instead i'm gonna change the genre up i want a romantic comedy about uh somebody with a su- with superhero powers and i'm gonna pitch basing it on tom zoller's uh, webcomic love and capes which is about a regular woman named Abby, who is uh, whose boyfriend of a few months, Mark, reveals that he is actually not a, not just an accountant. He is an accountant, fully licensed, but he is also the Crusader, one of the most powerful superheroes in the world. Uh, and yes, he does have a cape, and it is kind of an adorable. Uh, comic about uh, the relationship and the superhero trappings are on the periphery, and I think it would make uh, a really fun comic because I it, there was a time when I would think that making jokes about kind of superhero tropes would be lost on the general public, but boy, we have left that time now. We everybody gets everything involving superheroes now, so I think the time has come for a romantic comedy about a superhero and uh, rather than doing it about like Lois and Clark or something like that let's just go to uh to Love and Capes and do it there so that's my that's my pitch it's a it's a it's a romantic comedy about uh how you find love in the world when there are supervillains trying to kill you uh John what do you have for a second pick for this one I'm going to go a little more serious and talk about something I'd actually like to see and uh, that's uh, a comic based on Jaime Hernandez's long-running Locas characters from Love and Rockets, which goes back to 1980, I believe. Uh, I was reading these back in the 80s and have followed them through the 90s and on into the 2000s. Um, anyone who's read these comics know they start in a fictional barrio of Los Angeles called Hoppers and follow two punk uh, kids, Maggie and Hopi, as they traverse uh, this fantasy world of science fiction and crazy Central American countries with lost uh, dinosaurs and strange uh, millionaires with horns. And then it sort of settles down over time into becoming a very closely observed uh, character study about these two 
young women as they grow out of their punk years and have to kind of figure out what they're going to do next with their lives. And as time goes on, those fantasy and science fiction trappings kind of uh, fall to the wayside, although they do come back from time to time in strangely surreal ways. And this is uh, just a anyone who's read Love and Rockets, which if you don't know, that was where the name came from, not the band. The band stole the name from the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the uh, quintessential comics of the black and white revolution of the mm-hmm. 80s. And uh, Jaime Hernandez has gone on to become a huge illustrator for The New Yorker recently. Uh, recently and unfortunately he doesn't put out as many comics as he used to but he's still following the adventures of maggie and hopi and i was thinking that for maggie i could see her her being played by uh dasha polanco who yes. plays uh on on orange is the new black oh she's uh, perfect and i thought hopi who is in the comic is scottish and Colombian, could be played by aubrey plaza who is Irish and Puerto Rican? Hmm. Izzy, the the the, the creepy uh, friend of theirs who has all the religious uh, fantasies. Izzy, I I I don't know who I would go for, but I'm thinking maybe Gabriel uh, Gabriela Riez, who plays Valencia on uh, Crazy, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, because she's thin enough, <laughs> and. <laughs> And and Maggie and Hopi have this statuesque, superhero-esque uh, girlfriend named Penny Century, uh, who I think should be played by Lake Bell, because mm-hmm. she's tall and imposing enough, and she can play crazy, too. And and here's the here's the kicker is I think the first half of the film, which is science fiction mixed with punk rock, would be directed by Alex Cox. But the second <sighs> half as it goes on, would be turned over to uh, Aurora Guerrero, who is a, a contemporary Chicana LGBT uh, director who does these slice-of-life films about, uh, about Mexican girls in, in Los Angeles. So it would, it, would, it, would, it would slowly fade out, and maybe somewhere in the middle we could get Robert Rodriguez to do like a, a fantasy scene. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I'd watch that. I want to see that. <laughs> Tremendously uh, under underappreciated comics. And uh, I should mention that Los Brothers Hernandez are uh, among 17 uh, nominees who Eisner voters will vote on to potentially induct into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, John, for for a first uh, first appearance, you're killing it. Good job. Yeah, you're, you're literally <laughs> redefining it, killing it, making yeah. this serious, making all of us look bad. Yeah. You're doing that, a great job. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I'll shut up now. David, it's your turn. <laughs> top top it. Yeah, right. <laughs> no pressure. Beat that loser. As John knows, I was really tempted to choose Fred Bassett, but I, I decided yeah. not to. Still on the board. You know, I love heist films. I love a good heist. I love the Ocean's Eleven films. I'm curious about the new Ocean's Eight film, the all-female version of Ocean's Eleven. I guess they only need 30% less. I don't know. Um... And I'd really love to adapt one of my favorite graphic novel series, Bandette. She's a French Mm. street urchin and a master thief. She's kind of part Tintin and part Nancy Drew. Uh, She's a thorn in the side of the grumpy 
uh, police detective who, you know, Ed Asner is a little older than I would think, but surely there's a young Ed Asner type <laughs> who could do this. Uh, Nick Offerman would be fun. Um, and, and for some reason, I just see Alicia Vikander in this, just, you know, uh, in a mask and dancing across the rooftops of Paris. And maybe David Tennant as, as her nemesis and sometimes her, well, her rival, her sometimes uh, partner in crime, Monsieur. Uh, I just, there are three collections out there. It is utterly delightful. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, they're just good heist stories with a real sense of humor and a real sense of adventure. Someone make these movies or let me do them. I would love to do that. It's a lot of fun. I like that one. Monty, what do you have? Early one morning, we open on an ordinary house. The sun rises with a mighty splorch, and we zoom inside to see our hero waking up. He sits up in bed and scratches his belly. He puts his huge floppy feet into some huge floppy shoes and stretches out his spine to the sound of a mind-boggling array of cracks and sploots and scrinks. He goes forth into a strange world of notary publics, large canaries, and gorilla suits. The opening title hits the screen with a magnificent katoong. Don Martin, the movie. Yes! 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 yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god, you will play every Foley artist in the, on the West Coast. It will be glorious! <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I love Don Martin in Mad Magazine. Oh, I'm so excited about this. You had me at Splorch. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. I knew where this was going and I couldn't wait. It was so great. <laughs> I think the fish budget for this movie would be too high. <laughs> <laughs> Greenpeace starts protesting. Wow. Stop it. Do you have more, Monty? Are there more details of what, what I then I think see in the rest, of, itself, in the Jesus, rest no. of the movie after? <laughs> well, I mean... I figure we'd uh, it would be about Fester Bester Tester. It would be about the noted notary public he wrote about a couple of times. Mostly it would just be people going up to vending machines and then something crazy happens to them. I think it would have to have a lot of title cards in interspersed mm. would say uh, uh, one sunny afternoon in the park or a visit to the, d- the dentist's. Yes. Well, you notice I did start my pitch with early one morning, which there is a go. title he used several times. That would be an interesting movie. I'm trying to that that you're gonna have to find a good uh, screenwriter for that one. I think just to have it be make any sort of sense. But wait till you hear my next one. Even bigger stretch to make into a story. Interesting. Okay, uh, Moises, what do you have for us? In trying to narrow down ideas, you know, back in the day, many of us made these lists of oh man, I would love for this to be a movie. The default used to always be something needed to be a movie. But a lot of these sequential art series really lend themselves much better to television at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, yes. Why the I Last Man? Yeah. Uh, you know, peop- yeah. people people say, oh, I want a saga movie. No, no, you want a saga no. mega TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it, it, it doesn't fit into that bucket. Now, there is something that the author has stated that he has no intent to ever adapt for that medium. Uh, and I mentioned Why the Last Man because that author is uh, Brian K. Vaughn, who, with Marcos Martin did a series on their website panel syndicate called The Private Eye, set in the year 2076 after an event referred to as the Cloudburst, where everyone's private information gets leaked online. Everybody's John Podesta um, uh, uh, pasta recipes get leaked online, and their uh, sexting, and all of their private communication, everything that people put into the digital ether, 
uh, has been WikiLeaked all over the bed of the world, um, and and everyone can see it uh, plain as day. Uh, to the point that there is no internet anymore. Uh, people are incredibly guarded about private information, their identity itself. People walk around in public routinely just wearing masks of different sorts um, and uh, utilizing as many ways as possible to obscure their identity as they, as they can. And uh, among the, uh, the most dangerous outlaws on this planet Earth of the year 2076 are unlicensed journalists. Mm. Yes, indeed. To be a journalist, you have to have a license. And one of these unlicensed journalists gets tied up in a future pulp um, series of uh, of unfortunate events having nothing to do with the new Netflix series <laughs> or book series uh, that uh, lead him on the trail of a crime or series of crimes or who knows, nesting dolls of crimes within crimes within crimes. Um, it's uh, it's phenomenally interesting and and uh, and aggressively cinematic to me. Um, it's uh, it's something that was available originally as uh, I guess you would say widescreen format PDFs exclusively on their website panelsyndicate.com for whatever price you think is fair including free and they put that in a parenthetical on that very price listing so you can you can read the whole thing for absolutely nothing and then pay them after the fact or there is a beautiful hardcover edition of it that's out now um but it is it is one of the most directly uh lending to cinematic adaptation comics i've read in the last 10 years and it's phenomenal that's great and you can you can just download that from panelsyndicate.com pay what you want i believe to get those pay what you want all right uh lisa what do you have Catherine winnick plays power girl um Catherine winnick i don't know how many of you are familiar with her work as lagertha on vikings which is on the history channel um vikings is a magnificent hot mess of a tv show and i love it so just for the big budget alone but Catherine winnick plays um Lagertha, who was indeed part of the Norse sagas as the leader of the Shield Maidens, and then later a Norse Earl in her own right, quite a skilled invader and quite a skilled holder of land and builder of kingdoms. Um, she is a phenomenal physical actress. Um, she, it, well, the best way of putting it is she has the kind of convincing physicality where if she was to put on the Power Girl suit, you would absolutely believe this is a woman who could grind you into a fine powder. And um, I would build a movie around her. And I've always liked Power Girl in the DC Universe, and I've always felt like her, the sheer dazzling variety of backstories they have tried to give this poor character is just beyond, is just beyond, um, describing in, in this a podcast. You could actually probably launch an entire separate podcast called Power Girl, what? And then spend, hours discussing what they've done to this poor woman over the course of her um, existence. But long story short, the, the most I can boil it down to, what we would boil it down to for this movie is she is a Kryptonian from a parallel universe. And through some, you know, hand-wavy, timey-wimey stuff, she gets flung into this universe. There's no way to bring Crashing her Crashing through a boob window. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Is the, boob, <laughs> the boob window will get addressed. I promise you that. Oh, um, it would have to be. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, anyway, the point is is that you get a citizen of Krypton from a parallel universe who's stuck into this one. She is uh, everything is just different enough with the Kryptonians in this universe where she is she's a little thrown off by that. She is even more thrown off by the fact she can't go home and she's expected to stay here and the whole movie is basically going to be how does this exile um craft a new home and a new identity 
in a place where everything is just so slightly off normal and where she happens to have super, where she happens to have superpowers and it's not regarded the same way it was back in the place where she comes from. So it's, it's a fish out of water story. And, um, by the end of it, I promise, like at the beginning, she has a uniform and bizarrely enough, like whatever logo had significance to her home planet mysteriously disappears in this one. And she spends the, the movie figuring out, you know, what symbol is she going to uh, put out there to, to represent herself in, in this strange new land. It's, it's, um, yeah, I, I like the idea of a woman in exile, a, a strong, tough, mm. um, emotionally guarded woman who, who knows that she can never go back home. What is she going to do? How is she going to handle it and handle being a superhero on top of that? Like the first time she's in a Justice League meeting and she's like, I know none of these people. Why am I on a rotation with you? What am I supposed to do? Like, I think it'd be an interesting way to also to, 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 uh, see, how superheroes get integrated into a wider community or what kind of relationship they're asked to have with the place they're asked to protect. Yeah. So Lisa, my question is, is the boob window caused by her symbol falling off and she seeks a new one or is the boob window her symbol that she decides on having the cleavage is her symbol? Or is it caused by Carmine Infantino going, Let's show some cleavage. I think what happens is the beginning of it kind of burns away and she realizes that there's no point in like her first act of, of well, well, what the heck? Let, none of your, none of your pointy eared physicists can get me back where I need to go. And she's like, well, un- I, I don't believe in wearing a symbol that doesn't mean anything to me. So until something means something to me, I'm, I'm just going to wear this suit and it makes people uncomfortable and they're a little weirded out by it. And she's like, no, you know what? You're just going to have to deal because if you're uncomfortable, imagine how I feel punch <laughs> now, now is it a is it a boob window or a boob transom or a, a bay window or it's more like a boob transom really interesting okay and okay. and for like practical intents and purposes it's going to have to be like a very small transom like the smallest legally yeah. allowed possible transom for ventilation well, yes because you yes. know she is moving around and things it's not going to be like the kind of boob window you see when someone like frank cho is doing a cover Right. You've got to carefully pose those stills, but in live action, you've got to move around. Although I think there will be a scene where she points at her own chest and says, you see these? On my planet, these mean hope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Since Zack Snyder will be directing this, of course you will. Visionary director Zack Snyder, you mean. Oh, I didn't mention, Zack Snyder is also directing my Don Martin movie. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes. Everybody uh, gets Zack Snyder. And everything so far is going to have a sex scene... uh, that uh, that's going to be backed by hallelujah yep. no i figured honestly to be honest i i figured that the russo brothers would be a great pick for power yeah, girl because sure. i love i yeah, love their would. fight choreography yeah and um i like the zip and the pace and the tempo that they generally have in their movies i, so, I kind of uh, see her her like pointing at her her transom and then saying look up here and the guy looks up and she just punches him yes like, exactly. so fist, somebody, somebody just tuned into david saying she points to her transom <laughs> and, 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 and you know no one everyone in the theater will be laughing when they have like the girls night out with her and a bunch of other superheroes and they end up having a brawl and like batman and superman have to come and bail them out the next day and they're like again yes again. alternate reality supergirl basically that's uh yeah that's good well woman not girl though that was the difference that's true. she was yes. meaner she was tougher and meaner and stronger and yeah. that was and, supposed a, and to, a fish out of yeah. water because she's not yes. in her own reality so the world yeah. is different and the fish out of water story is what intrigues me the most yeah. about her is the idea that this is one who has to manufacture her own meaning all right so uh my pitch uh my my uh, last full pitch is going to be for uh i think i'm gonna say an animated film based on uh brian clevenger's atomic robo Yay. Who is a is a fantastic? It is a he's a robot. <gasps> that was on my built, picks. Yeah, robot built by Nikola <laughs> Tesla. 
Um, he he's a he's he's sentient, but a robot, and he has all sorts of fun. Um, period, sort of like uh, when? When is it? Is it like post World War Two? During World War Two and post World War Two, it seems to be through a lot of eras. Through a lot of oh, eras, yeah. that's that's true. Yeah. He gets it's yeah. it's unclear, but it's he, it, he's he's immortal essentially, right? So what I like about Atomic Robo, and and I was thinking that maybe the best way to do it is is animated, is that he's got all sorts of adventures that he has. So so it's a way that you don't need this to be a TV series, like so many of the comics really should probably be adapted, and you can just tell a a. Fun adventure i would have him battling dr dinosaur at some point because dr dinosaur is great he's a talking dinosaur uh who (laughs) travels in time crystals are integral to the process and is trying to kill (laughs) all mammals it's great um and uh i don't know what the exact plot is yet i i didn't get that far but in terms of i'm just looking for properties right now and i think the the property i'm gonna i'm gonna say is atomic robo he's got he's got a team of action scientists who work with him that'll be a nice ensemble um we will get we'll cast some uh well-known actors who will only have to come in for a few days to do their line readings because it's an animated uh, animated feature but i think um Given how I how well I think Big Hero Six turned out, a yes. uh, an animated adaptation of a fun adventure comic uh, would be uh, would be a blast, and I think that Atomic Robo would be the property to do it because it is it is funny and uh, has that uh, has that kind of period uh, charm about it that uh, that uh, makes me kind of love the comic, and I would love the uh, I would love the the movie too. So Atomic I Robo. I am so on board for that. Yeah. That's a good oh, comic. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. I actually ha- had another one I was going to pick, and then I realized that I couldn't pick it because I, I believe they are, it was going to be a movie and killed and is now going to be a TV series. And so I just, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for my last round. But Atomic Robo was right up there. Uh, so yeah, Atomic Robo. I, I recommend it. And uh, I hope that one day, perhaps, we'll see an animated Atomic Robo. All right, that's two pitches down for everybody. I think uh, for with our remaining time, what we'll do is go back to everybody and ask if they've got other things that they thought about pitching. And if you want to do a quick pitch of some of your other ideas, that's fine. But we'll just kind of move through quickly and get and clear the decks of any other ideas you might have. John, do you have any that you uh, that you didn't mention? Oh, sure. Uh, since I did one of the great comics of the eighties, I'll also do one of the great comics of the nineties. Uh, Peter Bag's Hate. I think, uh, given the fact that Generation Xers are now all in, in their 40s and, and 50s, uh, there's plenty of nostalgia out there for, for this time. And I thought that we could have Buddy Bradley, the slacker who comes from New Jersey and moves to Seattle during the middle of the grunge era, could be played by Adam Driver. Because, uh-huh. uh, you know, he, he's, it's basically the character he's playing on Girls. And as long as we got Adam Driver, we might as well have Lisa Dunham play his girlfriend, Lisa Leavenworth. Um, I, the only thing I don't know who to play would be Stinky, but I, I guess I'll say Jack Leeson from King of Thrones. All right. And this could be directed by either Edgar Wright or uh, Sofia Coppola. <laughs> Whoa. I'm going to say Edgar Wright. <laughs> I like the fantasy direction casting too. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else that you had that that uh, was left on the cutting room floor? Oh, that- I would I would just say I I, I purposefully didn't uh, pitch any superhero comics uh, because I'm not a, a huge fan of superheroes. Uh, the trouble I always have with superheroes is they're always about people 
whose uh, only imagination of what they can do with their superpowers is to punish after the fact. Mm -hmm. And in a way, as I was thinking about that, I realized someone could make a really great twisted film out of the comics of Fletcher Hanks, uh, of, of Stardust, <laughs> the, the the space wizard especially. Uh, I will destroy all the civilized planets guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. David, what else did you have? Oh, God, I have so many, but I'll go quick. Okay. I, I just have names for the most part. Great. Uh, I would love to adapt uh, Francisco Francavilla's Black Beetle, which is a a modern day uh, but neo noir pulp hero. I mean, he fits right into the forties. Um, I would love to do a good movie of the spirit, uh, maybe with Army <laughs> Hammer as the spirit. Huh. But you know, one one that was actually Will Eisner's spirit. <laughs> um, I would love to fix the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which is such a, a wonderful comic and a oh leave Alan Moore alone. Movie. He doesn't want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's true. Forget him. Uh, I would love to see Jason Sudeikis as Plastic Man. Huh. Um I think that would be delightful. We can, we can do that. We have the technology now. Yeah. We couldn't do that. I until have Plastic recently. Man on my list too. Specifically, the Kyle Baker version of Plastic Man. Mm. Yeah, I think post Deadpool, Plastic Man could totally be made, and it would be great. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would love to uh, take, I mean, again, this started as books and then was adapted and it's been adapted into movies and various points. And uh, Darwin Cook took the Richard Stark books about Parker and he made the best adaptation of the Parker books. None of the movies about Parker, uh, most of them don't even call him Parker, which kind of a problem. And, uh, you know, basically point blank comes close Payback, eh, payback exists for James Coburn to go, that's mean. That's just mean. That's about it. Um, so I'd love to take the Darwin Cook Parker books and just use those as storyboards because he nailed it. Hmm. Um, I would love to take the, the Shadow and Doc Savage and all the Street and Smith characters and there is a cinematic universe waiting to happen. Speaking um, of movies that did not work. Yeah. That, again, I would love to fix that. Um, poor Shadow. Oh, my God. Um, there's a Dark Horse comic called Department H, or Depth, which is a murder mystery under the water uh, with, you know, interesting things going on there. That would make a really good movie, I think. Uh, if I were working in television, I would I would uh, talk about Astro City. But sure. we're not doing yeah. TV. We're right. not doing um, TV. And that's, not a, that's not a movie for sure. Yeah. Get in right. line. Right. It, it would not, you know, there's so much there. Oh, I, and I want to see Oscar Isaac as Parker. I almost forgot that part. Um, and finally, I would love to see The Thrilling Adventures of Loveless and Babbage by Sidney Padua. Oh, my God. That would make such a fun movie and educational, but mostly oh. fun. All right. Monty. Well, everybody talks about how great Calvin and Hobbes was, and they're not wrong. But there's another great comic strip that ended in 1995 because the creator got tired of it. And The Far Side, I think, is the best of yeah. the one-panel weird situation gag strips ever. Absolutely. Now, a movie's going to be tricky 
uh-huh. because they did that Don Martin movie and that worked out. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> there was a short film called Tales from the Far Side. Uh, and anyway, it feels like all of the Far Sides take place in kind of the same universe yeah. where all the cows wear 50s fashion eyeglasses <laughs> and also there are cavemen or something. And Midvale School for the Gifted. Yeah, just The Far Side was so good. Can't yeah. it be a movie? Uh, going in completely the other direction, uh, I'm going to have to ignore the rules of legality here. The Kurt Busiek, George Perez, JLA slash Avengers featuring every single comic book character. Sure. It's, it's a comic book, <laughs> and when Disney buys Warner Brothers, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Well, they're also yep. going to have to get back the mutants and, mm-hmm. like, Man-Thing. But it's going to happen. Yeah. What I like about that idea is that in the book, the DC heroes go to the Marvel Universe and say... Ew, everything's so dirty and gritty here. They must be terrible heroes. And the Marvel <laughs> heroes go to the DC universe and say, Oh, everything's so shiny and clean. These guys must be authoritarian fascists. And that's the excuse they have to fight. But I think in the movie universes, it would go the opposite way, where yes, the Marvel would. people would go to the DC universe and go, Ew, they have superheroes here? What are they doing with their time? <laughs> oh, I'm imagining the Batman Iron Man face off now. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, there's a webcomic, Akewood, that has just gone away again, but in 2006, uh, January 12th, 2006 is when it started, the Great Outdoor Fight storyline was amazing. I'm not sure how well it would work as a movie if the protagonists were still cats, but the premise of three days, three acres, 3,000 men fighting down until there's one person left. I would go animated with the exact same art style and it would be it would be an unparalleled success because it's so different. Told, I'd watch that. Yeah, me too. A thousand times a day. I got uh, like three more. Uh, I want a new Little Nemo movie or Dream of the Rare Beak Fiend. I yes. don't really care which. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. I think Disney should make a movie starring Mickey Mouse because it's weird that the closest they have to Mickey Mouse being in a movie is Fantasia. Uh, specifically, <laughs> I'd go with the Floyd Gatfordson comic strips. Maybe go to 1930 with that run where he tries to commit suicide for an entire week. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Mickey Mouse in the comic strips is way more interesting than I ever gave him credit for in seeing his shorts. So I think that (laughs) version of Mickey Mouse could be a good movie. And finally, I know they're making a Birds of Prey movie with this new Harley Quinn thing. (sighs) I want a good Birds of Prey movie. There could be such a good Birds of Prey movie. So it's not my official recommendation because maybe this movie they're making will be it. Mm, I wouldn't hold my breath. If it isn't, could we try again and do a good <laughs> Birds of Prey movie? Let's just get started in advance on on the reboot of the, the movie that hasn't been made mm-hmm. yet. Why not? I'll let them put Black Canary in the fishnets and leather jacket. but She can still beat people up in that. I mean, if yeah. Power Girl's got the transom, she can certainly handle the fishnets. <laughs> That's what I got. All right. Great. Moises, what do you have left over? Well, I'll start on the superhero side of things because there isn't actually that much on that side. Um, when when it comes down to it, I would love to see uh, – I uh, you could flip a coin, honestly. Either the Power Pack or Next Wave Agents of Hate from Marvel, um, where Marvel just takes some characters that they don't have to build up to a team movie and just do the team movie. Mm-hmm. And just let the team dynamic work since they don't have access to the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and all that kind of stuff. Do something with uh, with with a couple of properties that they absolutely own free and clear and can do some neat stuff with. Um, and I, I should also mention that a few of these other things on my list, uh, friends of mine uh, would would receive royalties for. So there's, I guess, my statement of uh, full disclosure and so on and so forth. And I say that because my next one is Howard the Duck. 
it's it's been long enough. It's been long enough. We can do a decent Howard the Duck movie. A comic book that outsold Amazing Spider-Man at the peak of its popularity can absolutely sustain an entertaining movie when we've had seven Spider-Man movies that have had a, you you could say, mixed bag level <laughs> of success, and that would be generous. Um, Howard the Duck is something that, that can live alongside the Marvel Connected Universe and the giant serial that they've been doing without having to touch any of that stuff. He's in, fact, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he's yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy, but he, he has nothing but a, a just kind of side story relation to things. He's not going to show up in Infinity War and be the one to put on the Infinity Gauntlet and punch Thanos in the face. That's not going to happen. Um, but let him do the kind of social commentary and wry humor that the comic book was so well known for and so beloved for um, that despite the terrible Lucasfilm movie is the reason that people have persisted in their love of Howard the Duck over the last 40 years. Um, also on the superhero side of things, uh, I mentioned a connected universe. I've got a connected universe that is is more tightly knit that on the comic side of things has been shocking me with uh, with how well it's been doing in uh, in in really doing superhero comics in a way that doesn't require me to read forty five dollar single issues a month. And that is the entire Valiant connected universe wow. uh, to to start off with. I guess you would say Exo Manowar would be your starting point. Uh, they're in the process of actively developing all that stuff for yeah. movies, for TV shows, that kind of thing. Uh, but they are really, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I don't mean this to come off as like, you know, uh, um, as, as some sort of underhanded compliment, but I did not expect Ninjack, James Bond, <laughs> and also a ninja to be one of the best, most entertaining superhero comics being written on the stands today. But it absolutely <laughs> is. Um, they have characters that in the 90s uh, original era of Valiant were in many ways considered to be, oh, well, that's kind of like the X-Men, but with a weird megalomaniacal Professor X. That's still kind of the case, but they take those bones and they have re-engineered this uh, amazing genetic mutation of really brilliant storytelling around all of that. Um, in in general, I think I think Valiant uh, does not get its due in the modern superhero age. Now, jumping completely away from superheroes, uh, there is a, a series from the '90s that is deeply beloved that people have tried to develop. Um, I, I think predominantly for movies. Uh, I think the creator is now maybe interested in TV. Just whatever uh, from you know somebody who really gets the material and would do it well. And it was a mega success. One of the most successful really true independent comics strangers in paradise which oh, you could class yes. as, yeah. a, as a as a uh, as a romance comic that deliberately miscasts its leads uh in a way you've got uh, you've got a love triangle of uh, two girls and a guy and it and it was not the kind of narrative that you expected then or even i would say arguably now in terms of something that was as popular as it was. Uh, deeply, deeply beloved uh, uh, series written, drawn, and lettered by hand uh, by uh, Texas's own Terry Moore. Uh, also, uh, that, that goes for his follow-up series, Echo, uh, which I think would be great as, as its own single standalone movie, Strangers in Paradise. I think you could probably easily get two, maybe three movies out of because there's a lot of meat there. It depends um, on where you stop it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it depends on where you stop. It's something that it could do the TV side of things. And so I kind of resisted putting it on my list at first because of that. But I think that it is so 
extremely cinematic in terms of the the way that it grew and he composed it from the beginning. Um, I, I feel like it would lend itself uh, rather nicely. Um, a, a few other uh, one-offs, you know, uh, again, full disclosure, we're all friends of Anthony Johnston. We all loved Anthony Johnston, who has a show mm-hmm. called Unjustly Maligned right here on this very <laughs> network. Oh, yeah, let's give him a movie. And a movie coming he ha- out, He by has the way. a movie. He, he has a City. movie. He needs two movies. All right, he needs fine. two Anthony movies. Needs Jason. Movie. Movies. We love him. He needs two movies. Our friends all need movies. He and I uh, have a, a mutual love of uh, of some of some fantasy movies from the eighties. Uh, Dark Crystal being one of them uh, that influenced a, a comic of his uh, that is very much its own thing. It is not pastiche. It is not Anthony just doing his version of one of these properties. And it is a book called Umbral, yeah. uh, a fantasy book with weird, creepy things that go bump in the night. Uh, it is really exceptional. I wish it had gone beyond two volumes uh, to this point. He's not opposed to continuing it. He has a lot more story to tell and would love to tell more story. I would love for him to be able to tell that more story uh, by seeing it get optioned for a uh, a really cool, really awesome uh, fantasy uh, fantasy film series, uh, because there there is there's so much material there. Um, other really great uh, current uh, indie comics. Um, uh, another image book, Velvet. Um, what yes. if the James Bond spy organization? What if the secretary? What if Miss Moneypenny were really the radically most competent spy in the building, and something went amiss? And she had to solve everything and fix everything. Uh, it is some of the best work that Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, and Elizabeth Breitweiser have done together. And those three have worked on legendary issues of Captain America. Um, so that's saying something. Fantastic spy series that I, I, I hope it's already in development somewhere. Um, couple others, uh, Kaiju Max from Oni Press, uh, written and, uh, and drawn by Xander Cannon. Uh, he's been releasing it as seasons, uh, season one, season two, but they work just as well as 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 effectively being graphic novel length uh, storyboards for feature films. Uh, what if there were a supermax prison for kaiju giant <laughs> monsters? Mm-hmm. Just that's all the what if you need. You should already be uh, going out to buy this ten dollar uh, trade of the first volume of it. Oh, Second God, volume, yes. I think, is almost done now. Um, two others, uh, legendary uh, black hole. By Charles Burns. Another pretty simple pitch. Uh, what if a sexually transmitted disease caused super grotesque uh, mutations in a bunch of teenagers? Uh, I, I would say that the the recent horror movie It Follows uh, was was potentially inspired a little bit uh, by by where this uh, comic goes. But it is it is one of those great uh, black and white comics. Um, uh, really, uh, masterworks uh, of the last uh, uh, 20, 30 years. I lose track of what, what year we're in and what year it came out. Uh, and I think the only one that I've got left, uh, uh, two actually, um, Mike Richardson, the uh, publisher of Dark Horse Comics, teamed up with Stan Sakai uh, to do an adaptation of the 47 Ronin. And we really have not seen a great adaptation of that legendary Japanese uh, story. Uh, cinematically, certainly the uh, weird train wreck thing that Keanu Reeves was involved in in live action at Universal didn't go so well. Um, I, I think it would be phenomenal to see it animated. Um, it would also work in live action if it were just strictly straight up adapted that way with the A-list of Japanese film actors that are out there. Um, and then my my last one uh, is a really uh, compelling um finite series by Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy for the Vertigo label called The Wake. Um, mm. There are terrible things in the deep 
and uh, there is an unexpected uh, jump. I won't say in what respect, but there there is a jump somewhere else, uh, right smack dab in the middle of the series that I did not see coming and that you don't really expect to see coming unless you have it spoiled for you, that I think would work particularly well either as the midpoint in a single film or as the cliffhanger to a uh to a to a two-part adaptation of it um and uh, regardless i highly recommend it go go seek it out go go buy the comic versions of, of everything that i've said um and and don't get spoiled on that yeah yeah um oh yeah. oh god i'm yeah. sorry the, uh, i i i'm really really sorry jason i do have one more uh that is a non-connected universe Denied. no it's go ahead <laughs> <laughs> in fact now it's my turn again <laughs> the Diaspora of 2080, Rogue Troopers, Strontium Dog, Robusters, Slain, uh, The Ballad of Halo Jones. Uh, there, There is this rich treasure trove of British comics that have been uh, made serialized weekly since 1977 uh, that that is at once, I guess you would say, a cinematic universe. But the stories don't have this crisscrossing, cross-in, cross-over nature to them. Uh, so if anything, it would be a brand of, uh, of cinematic treasures that you don't have to watch all of. You can just go watch the crazy barbarian fantasy or you can watch the uh, robot uh, you know, death spree thing, or you can watch the, you know, near future mercenary private military corporation, uh, hard sci-fi thing. All right, Lisa, what do you have left? All right. This is lightning round. Uh, so first up, yes. One of my favorite, uh, 12 issue series in the last 20 years has been by Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly. It's local. It's a comic about a young woman named Megan McKeenan. And over the course of every issue, she bounces through different cities in the U.S. and has assorted um, has assorted encounters that gradually nudge her from being kind of a a, a ruthless vagabond of twenty two to a, a woman who who finally settles down in her late twenties, early thirties. Um, I see Alia Shawkat playing her, and. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's and it's an episode. It, the The book is episodic, and the movie could just be a string of episodes too. So you could either do it as an anthology, or you could just assume that the dude who directs Drunk History could could, could do them all. Because honestly, that is some of the best directorial work I've seen on TV. And I think that I think the episodic nature would carry over really well. So Local by Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly. It's a lovely self contained story. It's um, and I think it's something that would hit with a lot of people who do take all of their twenties to try to figure out, you know how how much of who I am as a result of my experiences and how many of my experiences have been a result of me trying to figure out who I am. And uh, when they finally untangle it and find some measure of peace to that question, the, the, the movie ends. It's very lovely. Um, the second quick hit I have is um, a comic book series that when I read it, I was like, holy crap, this is kind of like Deadwood Cross with the Wire and dragged into the 21st century. And it's scalped by Jason Aaron mm. and R.M. Guerrera. And it takes place on the Oglala Lakota uh, Reservation in, so in South Dakota. And the uh, hero of the the titular hero, he's really an anti-hero, um, Dashiell Badhorse works for the FBI. He has to go back to the res and go undercover because there are, there are many bad doings. Anyway, it's um, a deeply noir series, and um, there is no small amount of mysticism in it. And I think it would make a really elegant little an elegant and, and, and mean little noir. And it's um, a group of characters that you don't often see in these kind of movies uh, dealing with the kind of social pressures that again, aren't really common to the rest of the American noir uh, genre. So I would like to see scalped. 
if we were making scalps 20 years ago, Adam Beach would obviously be the dude I'd cast for it. But but now I would actually cast him as as the ostensible bill as the ostensible villain, um, Red Crow. Um, my third one, one of my favorite um, series is the transcendently stupid God hates astronauts by Ryan Brown. It is it is transcendently stupid. It How is dare you? So delightfully asinine, like it rounds a corner, and comes back again to a sort of demented brilliance. It is just so gleefully, witlessly vulgar and exuberantly dumb, and I love it. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa, can, can I can I can I share your love of it for just a moment, just to, to throw it out to those of you who have not read this yet? There is a character named Prince Tiger eating a cheeseburger, and that is yes. his actual legal full name. It, because he is indeed a tiger who eats a cheeseburger. Yeah, and is he actually a prince? Is yes, that part of he is a name? prince. Yes. He is a tiger, <laughs> and he is permanently eating a cheeseburger. Always, always eating a cheeseburger. This this book is is just Ryan Brown defined whole new genres of stupid, and then was like, no, this is not my masterwork. I have to keep going, and had like a beautiful mind moment, and kept going. It was delightful. We need to make sure that everybody on here understands that NASA is behind everything, <laughs> because if they don't, then NASA NASA is going to send their hit squads and kill them all. Mm. Yeah, it's. There's a lot going on. There's a rhinoceros with a pen protect with a pocket protector. There are there are born again farmers sending cows into space. Um, anyway, long story short, someone needs to toss this into the lap of Seth Rogen and his friends because I'm pretty sure they're the only Yo, ones whose sensibilities yes. could do it justice. So, I'm worried that they would get too stoned to do it right. No, James Franco is obviously going to be in this thing by hook or by crook. Jonah Hill will play Prince Tiger eating a cheeseburger. I've, I've got it all worked out in my head. Um, so moving on to um, the next one. We've already talked about Brian Clevenger's work indirectly because he's responsible for Atomic Robo, which uh, Jason pitched, which was on my quick hits list. But he was also responsible for revamping the Infinity Gauntlet saga for Marvel Comics. And it is hilarious. Um the Doctor Doom character alone had me like stuffing my ma- my fist in my mouth to keep from waking up my husband because I made the mistake of reading it in bed one night, and I think it would be just a great little. Um, I, I'm not sure if I want to tie it into the rest of the MCU or just leave it out there as a weird little gem on its own. But that movie needs to be made because it's really funny and um, features Spider Man and Doctor Doom and um, Hawkeye, which weirdly enough, and, <laughs> and Thanos, and it's it's bananas. And then th- my my final ones. Um, while I will contend that Runaways would make a better Netflix series, the same way that yeah. I contend that that Squirrel Girl should be a Netflix series, I still think. Yeah. I still think the first story arc in Runaways, which ends with them battling the Gibberim and taking back the planet from the unearthly pact that their parents had made, I think if you end it with that storyline, that would make a, a good and reasonably dark teen and dark and funny teen movie. And uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that. And then finally, I have not even begun to touch the treasure trove of Gail Simone stuff, including the book Leaving Megalopolis, which is about what happens when superheroes go crazy and become supervillains and begin killing everybody. And how do you escape a metropolis? where literally everybody can track you down and kill you anytime they want for fun. Um, but what I'm also thinking is that if um, the DC, if, if someone finally says, you know what, this DC universe is a hot mess, our our Birds of Prey book is just, our, our movie was a hot disaster and we're rebooting that because those people in the podcast said we needed to. Oh, what do we do? What do we do for the docket in the hmm. meantime? And someone goes, I know. We will take a look at The Secret Six, more specifically the book that ran from about 2008 to 2012, right after the DC Infinity Crisis. The Secret Six will be fantastic. It has Amazons from other planets, and it has a total weirdo who's a contortionist who dresses up his monkeys like his co-workers. And um, 
It will be a weird, funny, snappy ensemble. It's It will be everything that the stupid Suicide Squad movie should have been, but got bogged hmm. down by the DC sensibility. This one is bright and perverse, and I want it. Anyway, those are my those are my lightning rounds. And my list, a lot of these are very much uh, the what's been said before is really it needs to be done on as a TV series. So many stories really could be done that way. I would contend, and there are issues with the the coherency of the cinematic universe, but I would contend that perhaps the best way to tell uh, to adapt Matt Fraction's Hawkeye is in a film. Um, mm-hmm. and it just can't have Jeremy Renner in it is the problem there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. Oh, no. What do we do? He's a good ultimate Hawkeye, but the problem is, is they've stuck him in a universe that's got not, no ultimate sensibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got they got to make a break from the MCU to do that. He's fine in a movie where he can be the sixth most interesting yeah, person. Yeah, exactly right. But he needs to be more. <laughs> uh, this Hawkeye needs to be more more sad sack schlub than I think Renner can do. Um, mm. I I would like. Uh, I did put some Marvel ones on here, although I tried to re- refrain from that. I I think maybe a uh, although this would I guess be done by Columbia, but now they work with Marvel. I don't know. At one point they were talking about doing a Venom movie, and I find Venom as a villain uninteresting. But I find the Venom that is Flash Thompson, who is a wounded uh, vet who has lost his legs in combat, and but he can don the symbiotic venom uh, symbiote thingy and become a superhero, and he goes into space and stuff. I think that's an interesting story that might be a spin on that character that would be cool, especially when you've got a, uh, a wounded veteran who becomes a superhero. I think that's a fun twist on that. Um, Jim Starlin's classic independent sci-fi slash superhero slash I don't even know it's every genre all at once Dreadstar I think might make a good movie it's it would probably be a lot like Guardians of the Galaxy although probably less dude-ish a little less bro-y than Guardians of the Galaxy but similar in that you've got a you've got a, a cyborg preacher and you've got a cat pilot and you've got this guy wearing kind of a purple jedi robe who's got a magic sword there's so, so there's, like, there's like megaforce with a budget there's magic and <laughs> there's magic and aliens and uh, a battle between kind of a theocracy and a rebellion uh it's a lot of fun dread star and i think that might make a good movie out of the, out of the, those core parts um some uh, a bunch of things that I think maybe Lock and Key, which I, was going to be developed as a TV show and then turned into a movie de- de- uh, deal that died and now is going to be mm-hmm. developed as a TV show again. TV is probably the right format for that, although I could imagine it as a series of films. The problem with series of films is that they make one, it doesn't do that well, and they never make any more. But as a, a horror uh, slash action, uh, you know, kind of magic vehicle about the key house and the magic keys that do different things. I think that would be a really cool. Uh, I keep imagining almost kind of like I said, a, almost a Harry Potterish touch to it, but uh, but not quite as family friendly. Um, I'm a sucker for kids superheroes, and I would like. I'm tired of Spider Man's my favorite like comic book character, but I am uh, so overseeing Spider Man's origin or or uh, uh, let's see who else Batman's origin or uh, any mm-hmm. of these hero origins we've seen a million times before. But a a, a nice kids superhero movie would be a lot of fun so my two suggestions there are for either marvel to do a ms marvel movie that is based on willow wilson's current ms marvel uh, which is kamala yeah. khan 
or mm-hmm. a DC movie about the Blue Beetle with Jaime Reyes, uh, the Blue Beetle, because those are both kids who are not what we usually see in superheroes because they are both people of color and they are kids who get powers and have to deal with it. In Jaime Reyes's case, he gets like a, a beetle thing stuck on his neck and now he's got the armor and that's a fun character. And, and Ms. Marvel, similarly, she gets uh, exposed to the Terrigen Mists and she's got all sorts of wacky powers. Uh, I love how they the, both of those characters have to balance their family and being students and being kids with the responsibility that comes with having powers without telling me, about Uncle Ben dying again because I don't want to see it again enough. He what? A few more really quick. Um, I, Dan Slott's recent take on the Silver Surfer uh, mm-hmm. I think would make a hilarious movie with with his uh, girlfriend Dawn uh, riding on, who? on the board. That would be so fun. <laughs> I think the Alan Moore... Again, sorry, Alan Moore, but the Alan Moore <laughs> Swamp Thing. No, don't apologize to him. He he cashes he, all the checks. Yeah, uh, Swamp Thing series uh, with the uh, the anatomy lesson and all of that. That mm. classic oh, Swamp yeah. Thing story. I would love to see as a movie. Quite honestly, I think that would be super creepy and great. Um, and uh, finally, because Moises mentioned it and assumed that someone was going to pick it, but nobody's mentioned it yet. Noel Stevenson's Nimona would be a great movie, probably animated. Uh, but I don't care. I want to see Aloysius Golden Loin on the uh, big screen where he belongs, along with shape-shifting Nimona. I was pretty far into a Noel Stevenson's Lumberjanes pitch before I had the sense to look it up, and of course that's already going to be a movie. Already, yeah. 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 So that's it. We have we have uh, done a lot of good work here. I think the future of comic book movies is solved thanks to us. <laughs> Hooray for yeah, us! Fixed it. Just send the checks to the incomparable. That's all we ask. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's I'll make right. sure they get routed to the right destination. It's fine. I <laughs> uh, just use the internet. Right to the incomparable care of the internet, and it'll get to me. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so I'd like to thank my panelists for joining me in this uh, fun uh, little uh, uh, little idea session about uh, movies that you can make about comic books that that are not being made right now. John McCoy, thank you so much for your diligent uh, pitches, including casting and directors. That was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. David Lore, thank you. Thank you. As as Bullwinkle liked to say, Excelsior! Monty Ashley, thanks a lot. Now, Animal Man would make a great unproduced screenplay. Okay. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Moises Chuyan. Bye. I was going to say Excelsior, but then David said it, and it's trademarked, so I'll say Exunt Pursued by a Bear. <laughs> a Werebear! <laughs> Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. <laughs> and that's it for this edition of The Incomparable. Can Think up your own comic book movies. It's fine. And uh, I've been Jason Snell. We will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.